Welcome to the Tomball Bible Church Podcast. We exist to glorify Jesus Christ by making mature disciples to reach the nations. To find out more, visit us online at tomballbible.church. Welcome to Easter at Tomball Bible Church. If we have not yet had a chance to meet, my name is David, and it is a privilege to serve in this church with this church family. Thank you for the honor and privilege of being with us today. I could say to you that a new day has dawned, and we won't have much argument about that because the evidence is clear. The sun rose this morning, and I figured since we couldn't share in an early sunrise service, I'd bring a sunrise to y'all today. <laughs> but there's no argument, is it, that a new day has begun because the sun knows its setting, it rises and it sets. And the proof is there. And we can see that and we can understand and believe that a new day has dawned. But there are other things in our world that seem far less certain. I think that we are born with this sense of uh, that if we see something that challenges our categories or we hear something that's of the fantastic that deep within us, it links to something from our childhood that would be of the like of me boasting to my friend how I could jump the neighborhood creek and rising up from his eight-year-old mouth. Oh, yeah? Prove it. Which is a trap. Uh, you can't jump the creek off of Ashland Avenue in southeastern Oklahoma. It just can't be done by... At least that eight-year-old. But you know what I mean? There's this spirit within us that when we see something that sounds too good to be true, we say, oh yeah, prove it. And when we come to a day like today, it's important for us to, to understand, can we be certain about the claims about Jesus? Can we know for sure? Or is there spin? You're familiar with spin. How many of you would say, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you would say, you trust everything you hear on the news? Doesn't everything seem to be spun? That they're leading us, the viewer, to an outcome or to stay hooked on their news sound bites? We don't know who's backing them financially. They seem to have an affiliation with a political ideal. And everything seems to have a spin. Is there a spin when it comes to the things of God and the claims about Jesus? We need to take a look at the book. When we do, we're going to enter into Acts chapter 2. And when we come into Acts chapter 2, there has been something that has occurred in the city of Jerusalem that has left people very confused. A strange event happened. This small group of people had gathered publicly, most likely in the temple courts, and they were proclaiming news about a man who had just been executed 40 days before. But the unique thing that was happening is that in the city of Jerusalem at this time, there were people from all over the Roman world. And this group of 120 people or so, 
They were speaking in different languages that those who were in the city, let's say from Egypt, were hearing Egyptian being spoken by people that, well, they weren't from there. They were from a region up north called Galilee. Had their own dialect there. They had their own drawl there. Like people from East Texas. And it couldn't be understood. What is going on in Jerusalem? Was the question on their minds. And in the midst of this confusion, a man stands up to speak. And what Peter is going to say, he's going to deliver what's known as the first sermon in the New Testament. That's pretty cool. This is the first full and complete sermon that we have after Christ's resurrection. So I want to ask that you would join me in the book of Acts chapter 2. If you would join me in Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, we'd love for you to have a Bible in your hands. We have them on the ends of our rows. This gesture and someone will get a Bible to you. I'd love for you to be able to see and read the scriptures for yourself. And if you don't have a Bible, please take it as our gift to you. So in Acts chapter 2, Peter is standing up in the midst of all of this chaos that's going on. And what he's going to deliver is he's going to deliver three proofs about Jesus and what is true about him. And that will give explanation to what people are seeing and hearing. We actually began this passage last week when Pastor Trey preached through the first uh, 21 verses of this. And what Peter explains is that what had occurred was that the Holy Spirit had been poured out by God on those who believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. So 40 days prior, he was crucified, he had been, he had been buried, and then there was an empty tomb. And over a course of 40 days, there were over 500 eyewitnesses of the risen Jesus, and 120 of them had gathered in Jerusalem. And on that 120, God fulfilled a promise by pouring out His Spirit. And Peter lets them know that that is what has happened, and he draws Old Testament prophecy out of the book of Joel to prove his point. So today, we're going to step back into his sermon and see three proofs by which we can know that there's evidence that Jesus is Lord and Savior. You ready to dive in? Join me, Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You think that caught their attention? I think it did. He says, men of Israel, hear it. There's a man named Jesus. He came from Nazareth. 
but he was attested to you by God with mighty works, wonders, and signs that God did in your midst. This word attested, I'd like for you to circle or underline it. It is important. There are a couple of different ways that we can express a past action. One way to express it means that there's a past action that when it occurred, it was done and there was no more effect. I ate a hot dog. It describes an event. It was a delicious hot dog. It was an all-beef hot dog. I'm talking too much about a hot dog. But if I say, they had a baby. That describes an event that is ongoing. With changes and sleepless nights and feedings and snuggles and giggles. And then adolescence comes. (laughs) And the story goes from there. That's the kind of action that's being described here. Peter is saying, God has demonstrated that Jesus came forward as one who was promised. And he demonstrated that he fulfilled those promises and signs because he did them in their midst. Now, often when I think about all the miraculous things that Jesus did when he was on earth, I tend to think about first the supernatural events, that he calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee by just uttering the words, peace, be still. Or on the same sea that in a tumultuous storm that he came walking on the water or that he fed the thousands with bread and fish. I can tend to think about that. But think about this group of 120 people. These were men and women who had followed Jesus from when his ministry began in the Galilee region. And it was in the Galilee region and in Samaria and in the other parts of Palestine that Jesus did signs and wonders to people. In the 120, there would have been people who had been born blind who could see. The deaf that could hear and the lame that could walk. Could you imagine being in the 120 knowing that God had done the miraculous through Jesus? Because who's next to you but Lazarus? Brother was dead for four days. And there he is. Peter is saying, God has attested this man. He has proven and the results continue forward. And then on top of that, the sign of signs is the tomb was empty. And is still empty to this day. That word attested means that there was a completed action by Jesus that carries forward into the future. It was done in his healing. It was done in his resurrection. Peter says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. There were promises made about Jesus that came out of the Old Testament. We read an Old Testament passage on our Good Friday service that came out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 52, verse 13 through 
chapter 53, verse 12, and it lays out the clear plan of God to put a Messiah to death for his people, but then to promise that he would still see life. He would still see those who would proclaim faith in him. As Jesus was delivered up according to the promise and the plan, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God is sovereign over these events. But Peter lays, lays accusation boldly. He says, this Jesus who was delivered up, you crucified. Crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The lawless men were the Roman leaders like Pilate, Pontius Pilate. They did not have a Jewish law that they abided by. They lived according to a Roman code. There were also lawless religious leaders, Jewish leaders, who denied and broke their own laws, having a mock trial held at the wrong time of day without the proper number of witnesses, and they condemned a man to death against their own statutes. They were lawless. But Peter is also declaring to all who are hearing him, you were lawless as well. You broke the law of God by rejecting and crucifying his Messiah. You have done this. Verse 24, God raised him up, Peter says, and that he loosed the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. What a claim! Peter says this Jesus, attested by God, came and died at the hands of lawless men. But there was a bigger plan unfolding, the plan of God. And that God, in his plan, raised him up and death couldn't hold Jesus back. Why? Because Jesus was not a mere man. He's God in the flesh. He is the author of life. He sustains the universe with the word of his power. And it was according to his purpose and plan that rose the sun this morning. Jesus was sinless. Jesus could not be held in death's grip. So to prove his point, Peter then goes back to the Old Testament scriptures and he quotes David and he says, For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption." You have made known to me the paths of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. For Peter, through the Holy Spirit, he is making a clear link between the Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified and resurrected as the Holy One who could not see corruption. Holy One is a title for God Himself. So, as Peter is preaching this sermon, he makes the claim that Jesus fulfilled what God had promised. This is the first proof that Jesus is our hope. He fulfilled the signs. 
Everything that God had promised the Messiah would do, he did. From the healing of the lame to restoring the sight of the blind to becoming the payment and atonement for the sin of the world, Jesus fulfilled all the signs. Peter continues in verse 29, he says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about this, the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Do you hear the proving language that's in this passage? Peter says he can say to them with confidence that they were witnesses of what God had done in raising Jesus from the dead. You have the demonstration of God being poured out through the Holy Spirit. You have the testimony of Scripture about all that God promised would be done through His Messiah. You have Jesus giving His life for the people and rising from the dead. And Peter is saying, I will stand on this as truth. God had made a promise to David when he had become king and that, that a descendant of David would reign on the throne forever and ever. And David, though he had a limited perspective through the Holy Spirit, understood that there would be one who would come who would reign for all time. And Peter is saying, he has come. It's Jesus. So what is the proof that Jesus is our hope? He fulfilled the signs, and my friends, He rose from the grave. There is evidence that Jesus truly rose from the grave. If you were going to make a lie and to want it to be received as truth, there are certain things that you would do to establish witness fact that would be trusted in a first century Jewish culture. Number one, you would craft a lie, you would put it in the mouths of men and have them go and declare it. But that is not what happened in the Gospels. Jesus rose from the dead and He appeared to those who could not have a voice as a witness in Jewish court. And that's women. They were the first to see. They were the first called to be witnesses. And they were the first to go in his name and say, he's risen. If you are going to craft a falsehood to have it be believed, you would never put it in the mouth of someone who could not give witness. Are you with me? Secondly, the tomb was empty. Jesus bodily rose from the grave, an empty tomb. It was seen, it was known. It was not denied by the religious authorities. They had no explanation for it, so they crafted a lie. 
We have eyewitness accounts. We have an empty grave. And then we have lives who were transformed by the power of God. Here's Peter in Jerusalem, where just over 40 days prior, they killed his Lord. And there he is standing up on the temple grounds, a fisherman, demonstrating mastery of Old Testament scriptures, making the correlations to how Jesus has fulfilled all the signs and boldly proclaiming that Christ is alive. These were not, they were not scared, frightened people any longer. They have been truly changed and transformed by the power of God. One of the evidences of a risen Jesus is the transformation that comes in the life of those who follow Him. Christians do not live for their own name. but They live for the name and the glory of Jesus Christ. And there is a peace and a resolve that comes to a believer through the presence of God and the Holy Spirit that brings true change. Not perfection. We're still a work in progress. But true transformation nonetheless. He fulfilled the signs. He rose from the grave. Jesus is our hope. Peter's sermon continues, verse 33, says, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Jesus rose from the dead and there may have been people in the city wondering, well then, okay, well, we're hearing from you, but why are we not hearing from Him? And Peter lets them know that something else miraculous had occurred. That Jesus had not only risen from the grave, but he had ascended to his throne in heaven. Jesus was exalted and brought up into heaven where he would reign. And from that position of authority and restored power and honor, he did as he had promised and the Holy Spirit was sent. Jesus said, unless he were to go to the Father, the Spirit could not come. He went to the Father and the Holy Spirit came and the evidence was in their midst. He goes back to draw a correlation to what they were witnessing in the words of David from the Old Testament. And Peter says, for David did not ascend into the heavens... Remember, they knew where his tomb was. But he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. I don't want you to miss what's happening, and it's a challenge for us when we see the English language of what exactly is happening. When you see in the passage it says, But he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, the words the Lord stood for, the Hebrew name for God that, they, that the Jewish people, they would not pronounce out of respect and reverence. They would not say a word that you might be familiar with. It's the word Yahweh. And so they would insert other titles for God. And one of those would be Adonai or the Lord. So out of reverence, they wouldn't say Yahweh. 
but they would say, Adonai. And when we come to this passage, the claim that Peter is making is that David foresaw that there would be one who is God. who would be exalted and seated on high. His descendant. It wasn't David. It was the promised one, the Messiah. So this is the conclusion statement in Peter's sermon. He says in verse 36... Whatever shape you like to use, star, asterisk, squiggles, whatever it is, you want to put this in your Bible. Highlight it on your digital Bible if you'd like. Because in this verse, Peter says his conclusion, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter has reached a conclusion. He's followed the evidence to make this claim. Jesus is God, Lord, Yahweh, Adonai. He is Jesus and He is Christ. He is Messiah. He is Savior. He is the one who was promised. It is Jesus Christ. God has made Him both Lord and Christ. Lord and Savior. And then Peter tells them, and you killed him. This is a moment for all of us just to let that sink in. Jesus gave his life for sin. An atonement was demanded, a payment was needed to satisfy God's wrath against sin. Our rebellion against His name, we've broken His law. Who hasn't held anger in their heart at some time? Who hasn't walked in pride or spoke rashly? Who hasn't had some malice towards someone else? Who hasn't held lust in their heart wanting to take something that wasn't your own? That's all of us. I have sinned. And I killed him. You have sinned. And you killed him. This proof that Peter is bringing forward, that Jesus fulfilled the signs, that he rose from the grave, the capstone for Peter is that Jesus ascended and sent the Spirit, that he was exalted as the Scriptures proclaimed that he would be exalted and that the Spirit would be poured out. Now, one of the evidences, my friends, that the Spirit has truly come and is at work in our world today is He is the one who draws the hearts of people to God. 
He is the one that, that works in the response when people hear the good news of Jesus, that he died for our sin and he rose from the grave, it is the Spirit's work to say, this is true, and this is for you. God loved you so much that he gave his one and only Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Is that drawing to you? Is there something compelling within your heart and mind going, maybe there's something to this? That is not you just connecting dots this morning. That is the Spirit of God saying, I want to give you life. I want to forgive you. I want to cleanse you. I want to come in and enter in and change you forever. I want to change your eternal destiny. Will you let me in? I'm drawing to you. I'm coming to you. Verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They had heard the truth about Jesus, and they said, Oh, no, what have I done? What have I done? And this is what can rise up in us when we are confronted with the fact that we are not holy. And we cannot be the our answer to overcome our sin. It would have to take a perfect sacrifice. And that ain't me. And it isn't you. So Jesus loved me. And he loved you. And for joy set before him of cleansing the nations, every tribe, tongue, and, and language, all who would receive him and believe in his name, Jesus would renew, and for that joy he gave up his life. Does this message, the truth of God's word, cut into your heart? They looked around at each other and they said, Brothers, what are we going to do? What shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. See, there is a calling work that God does when his gospel is proclaimed. He draws the hearts of people who he has said, I want to rescue you. I have life for you and I'm drawing you to myself. They said, what should we do? And Peter says, change your mind. Move out of, in this context, a dead religious system that was not going to rescue them. The law and following the regulations of the law just showed them over and over how far from perfect they were. They could not keep the law. It wasn't working. And whatever you may be doing, my friend, it isn't working if you are trying to just navigate this life on your own 
in your own strength, thinking somehow maybe there will be some kind of life beyond death, and I'm a pretty good guy, and so I think I'm going to maybe get to whatever's on the other side. Maybe it's a bright light. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe I'll come back in some other form. I'm telling you, you cannot attain anything for yourself. Your rescue has to come from outside of you. This is the distinction of Christianity. It is not a system of religious regulations that says, you put in the effort, you put in the time, you give in the plate, you show up on Sunday, and you get in. Christianity is the declaration that we cannot get in. So he came down. He came to us to do what we could not do for ourselves. He did it with joy. He did it with love. He's the author of our lives. He wants to rescue you and me and our children and their children. Repentance is a change of mind. It is a change of direction that is grounded in faith and belief in Jesus Christ. You want this kind of forgiveness and new life with Christ? You must receive the gift that's offered to you. You don't earn it. You receive it. You say, I understand and believe that I sinned against God. And Jesus died on the cross for my sins and He rose from the grave and I receive that as true. There's a demonstration of faith that Peter outlines for everyone who's in Christ, and he says, and be baptized. Go public with your hope. Go public. Let others know as he was standing and making public proclamation that Jesus Christ is alive, and he is Lord, and he is Christ. Peter is saying, this is what your baptism does. So do it. says, do this, and you'll be a part of receiving this gift of the Holy Spirit. And it says, verse 39, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Verse 40, he clo- the sermon ends in verse 39, and in verse 40 it says what happened next. It says, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Awesome. So what is our response in the year 2023 on this Easter? We've laid out three proofs. Jesus fulfilled the signs. He rose from the grave. He ascended and sent the Spirit. Follow the evidence. Follow the evidence to their intended conclusion. A, believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior. This truth 
calls you to a decision point. He is either Lord and Savior or he is not. He cannot just be a way on planet earth that religious systems have formed to find some kind of deeper and greater meaning in life. The claims of Jesus are exclusive that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. You must decide. And my question to you is, is there anything compelling you from the inside that this is true, that you can receive new life and forgiveness and peace? That is God drawing your heart to him and he's asking you to simply receive this. Or face a Christless eternity. An existence beyond death that doesn't end and it certainly has no place with God, and we get what our human hearts want independence from a judgmental God. That's our default. To believe the lie that this life is about me, and I get what I can get before I'm gone. You turn from that and you receive the gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior and then get baptized. That's pretty complicated. Get baptized. Now, we'll tell you that baptism in and of itself, that is not the washing and the cleansing and the forgiving. That is the work of Jesus done that you have placed your faith and trust in. I'll remind you time and time and again, our water is from Harris County, and it's got too many chemicals to be that powerful to cleanse you from the inside out. So baptism is going public with your hope. It's a demonstration that just as Jesus died and was buried and rose, In him, I have died to sin and I have been resurrected to new life in Christ. It's a way to give public witness to your faith. It blesses God. It is an act of obedience, but baptism is not what rescues you. It starts first with receiving the truth that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And if he is and you have not yet up to this point in your life been baptized knowing what you're doing and why you're doing it, we would say, get baptized next Sunday. Use the QR code. Let us know. We will not make you a spectacle, but we will help you Put into words your faith and your trust in Jesus and you will stand before God and in the safest room you could possibly be in and to say, I believe Jesus is God's son who died for me on the cross and rose from the grave and I follow him. Take the plunge and give public witness to your hope. For those of you who have been baptized, that is the call. Go public with your hope. This is not meant for us to be hiding for ourselves. 
This is to be demonstrated where we live, where we go, where we play, taking the resurrected life that is ours in Jesus to wherever we go. Go public. Let people know. Yeah, I do believe what the Bible says about Jesus. Has anyone ever showed you? May I? And go public. Thanks for listening. To find out more, visit us online at tomballbible.church.